I love that uh, that from week to week you can have plans and you can have ideas of what the Lord would have you share. You can set series in mind uh, that you are planning to go through and then the Lord can just dismiss all of it. I love that God does that. I love that we are not so locked in here uh, that we have an expectation, I hope, that because the Lord has started a set, set, uh, a set of series or a certain subject that we can't deviate from that for a few moments here and there. And uh, such a time is this morning. Today I, I will not be preaching in the traditional fashion, so to speak. We'll be looking into God's word, but I will be sharing my heart with you perhaps on a different level to what I would ordinarily do. It's my prayer this morning that the thoughts that have been formed will be a great hope and a great encouragement to us this morning, particularly if you are facing any form of hurt whatsoever. The truth is I have recently come through a time of immense hurt and disappointment. And in, and in examining my own life, I've come to realize a few things. I want to share them with you to begin with here. I am easily hurt, though I try not to be. I usually don't allow hurt to run its full course. And I'm hoping, by the way, as I give you this list, that some of these things might be a reality for you too. I usually don't let hurt run its full course. I try and short circuit. I generally do not think biblically throughout the hurt. I find that I am prone to disengage from others rather than receive help and comfort during the time of hurt. In my own life, I rapidly move from a neutral hurt to a harmful hurt, which results in sin. I note in myself that I am quick to forget the purpose of hurt during the hardship. I think that I shouldn't feel hurt. I usually become a casualty of hurt and not a victor when it strikes. And the last observation I make in myself is that I forget that God is with me in the hurt. I don't want to take away from the time we have. I just want to repeat those for the sake of emphasis. I am easily hurt even though I try not to be. I usually don't allow hurt to run its full course. I generally do not think biblically during the hurt. I'm prone to disengage from others rather than receive help and comfort during hurt. I rapidly move from a neutral hurt to a harmful hurt, which results in sin. I'm quick to forget the purpose of hurt during the hardship. I think that I shouldn't feel hurt. I usually become a casualty of hurt and not a victor when it strikes. And I forget that God is with me in the hurt. This morning, I'm going to preach in some form a practical and heartfelt message entitled, Hope for the Hurting Heart. Lord, this burden that has been upon me since yesterday, I'm looking forward to being able to express these things that you've placed within my heart. Lord, I do not know fully the reason why you would have me preach this message except that I've needed it. But as is usually the case, there are those perhaps in our midst today who you have summoned by divine appointment for such a time as this. And I pray that you would use these thoughts and these concepts from the scripture to encourage our heart, to bring about healing where it's necessary to help us understand the purpose and the reason for the hurts we experience. And that, Lord, in the final analysis of everything that we do this morning, 
that we would have a greater dependence upon you. We're not necessarily asking that you would take away the hurt, but cause us to depend upon you throughout it. Our Lord, cause us to have a greater understanding of your character, of your plans, of your promises. Lord, break us if that's what's necessary today. Bring about self-examination. May the Spirit work within each of us and show us areas that need attention. Lord, there may well be in our midst people who are hurting deeply. I pray, Lord, that you would cause this time together to be a great encouragement. Thank you for all the things you've been showing me, for the lessons that I've been learning, the heartaches that uh, bring about greater refinement, greater change, greater glory for you. So help us in these few moments we have together, I pray. Keep us engaged. Help me to communicate effectively. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Hope for the hurting heart. I want to begin this morning by the simply the first point which I have called hurt explained. Hurt explained. We want to define this. We want to understand what it is that I'm referring to this morning. But before we do that, let me just make a few statements. First of all, nobody. Nobody likes to admit that they feel hurt. And yet, no one is exempt. Hurt is a reality for all people. And I know that my own tendency is to operate with a macho man idea. Nothing can hurt me. I'm Superman. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I am almighty is the thought that goes through, not actively in my mind, but I cannot allow others to know that I'm hurt. But what is hurt? Hurt is that feeling that comes from suffering, injury, damage, or harm. Again, hurt is that feeling that comes from suffering, injury, damage, or harm. And many times nobody even knows that we're hurt because we are the masters of disguise. It's internal and we try to keep it there. That doesn't change the reality of the fact that hurt is a reality for every single person in this room, in this world. Now I note, as I have done some study, that hurt takes many, many forms, has many, many origins. Here's six for us, just really quickly that we could look at. We're not going to, but here's just six. There's physical hurt. Physical, the outer man, what we look at here, the body. There's mental and emotional hurt. Thirdly, there's spiritual hurt. Fourthly, there's financial hurt or economic hurt. Fifthly, familial hurt. Relates to our relationships in family and so forth. And then sixthly, social hurt. Relational interactions with others. And and there are many, many more. Physical hurt, mental, emotional hurt, spiritual hurt, financial hurt, familial hurt, social hurt, and so many others that we could add to that list that you could do yourself. But as we explain hurt this morning, there's a couple of key things we need to understand. Contrary to many opinions today, hurt is not intrinsically evil. Hurt in and of itself is not wrong. In fact, let me go another step. All emotions, every kind of emotion and feelings find their origin in the character of God. Something that we may never have thought about. Let me explain that some more. As image bearers, the Bible tells us that we were made in the image of of God. We are image bearers of God, although under sin, and in many cases a marred form of that image, we experience the full gamut of emotions, and none of them is wicked. None of them are wicked. In fact, in God, we observe anger. Righteous anger, but anger. 
grief, pain, sorrow, joy, sadness, disgust, sympathy, disappointment, amusement, and hurt. All of those emotions, those feelings, are all present in our God. Therefore, they are not in and of themselves sinful or intrinsically evil. As with all emotions, all feelings, people operate differently. There are varying degrees and thresholds of hurt and pain. Some people are easily hurt. Others are rarely hurt. But mark it down, church, every single person experiences hurt. Now, in explaining hurt, there are two outcomes to note this morning that, again, just help us to have foundation as we look at some specifics. Two outcomes. There's only two ways to respond to this hurt that begins within. There is, first of all, a hurt that produces harm. And we could put in brackets, sinful. A hurt that produces harm to ourselves, to others, or whatever. But then there's a second And that is a hurt that produces holiness. And in brackets, we could call that sanctification. So first of all, the first outcome, a hurt that produces harm. In other words, it brings about sin because of how we deal with it. And the second is a hurt that produces holiness, which is not sinful. It brings about growth and change and refinement. They're the two places that hurt will take us. And it's one of two every time. So in other words, we would say this hurt, the feeling of hurt, the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of these other uh, emotions mentioned are a neutral feeling that result in one of two outcomes, helpful or harmful, holy or harmful. I hope you follow so far. That's the briefest summary of what hurt is. Probably that you've ever heard. But now what I want to do for a few moments is now look at hurt in the Bible. Second point, hurt in the Bible. I want us to see just a number of passages. We're going to turn to a few places this morning and we're going to look at some specifics that will help us to see that in hurt we are not alone and in hurt there are many outcomes of that hurt and how they were dealt with. We're going to look at that for a few moments before we get to some real practical aspects. The Bible is full of instances of hurt. Turn with me, please, first of all, to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah is one of my top five characters in the Bible. I appreciate so much about his life. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you would find verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I'm going to pause there. I know we're right in the middle of a verse here. The circumstance here. Nehemiah, as part of the exile now, is in a foreign land. This is a Jewish man who loves his people. He loves his city. Jerusalem is the center of all that God is doing. And here he is asking one of the brethren who had escaped there in verse 3, what's happened to them all? He says, they're in great trouble and shame and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This is a devastating circumstance to Nehemiah and this is an instance of immense hurt and I want you to note this 
due to the pain of others and their circumstances. So Nehemiah, in his heart, has found out some information that has brought about feelings of great hurt, feelings of weeping and mourning for many days. This is an important thing for this man, and it relates to the pain of others and their situation. Now, at this point in time, we're not going to look at how that's all resolved. I just want you to see that hurt is real in the scriptures. This is real hurt. Some of us understand immense hurt. When it comes to the pain of others and their situation, you might be able to think of someone yourself right now. I want you now to, if you would please, to turn to me, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Again, we're going to look at a few different types of hurt as seen in the scriptures. That was the pain of others and their situation. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Interestingly, most of these take place at the start of the books. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I apologize in advance for how I say these words because I'm not practiced in these Hebrew words at all. There was a certain man of, wherever he was from there, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite, He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not to you more than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Year after year, the desire of this lady was to bear children. And we understand that there is, uh, there's obviously from uh, Hanini, uh, there's direct attempt to produce hurt in Hannah, but the real hurt I see in this story comes from personal unfulfilled expectations. I just want to have a child, Hannah says. Year after year, I have wanted this, I have prayed for this, I've sought this, and this is my expectation, this is what I want. And yet God has closed the womb. So we see in in Nehemiah, There's the pain of others in their situation. In Hannah, we see personal, unfulfilled expectations that bring about hurt. I want you to turn with me now, please. We couldn't go through the subject of hurt without looking at the man called Job. If you'd go to Job, again, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. Here we see in verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. I want you to uh, please go to verse 13 now, if you would. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. There came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. 
And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In Nehemiah, it's the pain of others and their situation. In, in Hannah, it's personal unfulfilled expectations. In Job, it is the instance of immense hurt due to personal loss. Personal loss. Psalm 56. If you would turn Psalm 56 with me, please. We come to the life of David, who has just been seized by the Philistines at Gath. And in Psalm 56, we read this. David, in writing a song, says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. Verse 2, my enemies trample on me all day. Verse 5, all day long they injure my cause, for their thoughts are against me for evil. In Nehemiah, we see the pain of others in their situation. In Hannah, we see unfulfilled personal expectations. In Job, we see personal loss. Psalm 56, we see the active assault of others against me. The active assault of others against me. Let's turn to one more place this morning. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. If you want to know something of sorrow and hurt, Jeremiah is the place to go. The weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet. Jeremiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Jeremiah writes, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a, traveling, a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. 
In Nehemiah, we have the pain of others and the situation. In Hannah, we have personal unfulfilled expectations. In Job, we have personal loss. In David and Psalm 56, we have the active assault of others. And in Jeremiah, we have immense hurt due to the sin of God's people and the resultant judgment. The sin of God's people and the resultant judgment. Uh, Church, we could look at myriads of places this morning that deal with hurt in the scripture. And I know that you know this to be true, that we all hurt. Sometimes it's helpful to look in the scriptures and see it, that every one of us hurts. Every one of us faces some kind of hurt. And sometimes it's immense, deep impact hurt that we cannot fix on our own. Other times it's, it's fairly simple and, and our Christianity is able to come around us in one sense and bring us to a place of healing all on our own. And that's wonderful. But here's what I'd like to do in our third point this morning. I want to give you some helpful Thoughts for hurting hearts. Helpful thoughts for hurting hearts. Again, this is my heart on display this morning. This is where I am at. This is what I am working through. And I hope that these few things I mention here in this and our last point in a few moments will be a blessing and a help to you. These that I'm about to list out for you are the practical things that I have found to help me when I first encounter hurt. Number one. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Ask for wisdom, strength and discernment. The first thing that I would say for us this morning, helpful thoughts for hurting hearts, Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Ask for wisdom, strength, and discernment. James chapter 1 and verse 5, I cling to with all my life. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Now there's a caveat on that. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Folks, when we first come across that hurt, when that circumstance comes, whether it is a recurring hurt or whether it is a first time hurt because of a situation, we need to discipline ourselves. I need to discipline myself so that when that first comes up, the very first port of call is not to speak. To someone about it is is not to try and work through it. It's not to go, I'm fine, I'm Superman, I can handle this. It is literally to say, Lord, I must depend on you first and foremost because I need wisdom, I need strength, I need discernment. Number one, bring it to the Lord in prayer, ask for wisdom, strength and discernment. Secondly, trace the hurt or pain back to the cause and I've put here a journal or a notepad is very helpful here I want to find out in my own heart I've prayed and I've asked Lord for wisdom so now I want to find out why am I hurting how how did this happen I, I want to trace it back Because my tendency, like yours, is to get emotional about it, is to believe some lies about this circumstance. And I need to trace it back so I can find out why is it that I am, in fact, hurting here. And so for me, and you might operate differently, usually what happens for me is I come down to the office here, I get a big A3 piece of paper, and I start drawing a mind map. And I begin with how I'm feeling, why am I feeling this way, how did I get here, and what are the circumstances or the steps that brought me here. Some of us might say, I don't operate like that. Do whatever you need to do, but trace it back to the cause. Thirdly, which is connected to the second, ask some real questions and real in capital letters. Ask some real questions of your own heart. Here's some of them. How did I get to this place of hurt? How did that happen? What were the circumstances surrounding this situation? Remembering right now that 
the hurt is not sin. I'm not at the point of sin yet. I can easily cross the threshold in an instant, but I'm not there yet unless I decide to jump off that cliff and go into the realm of sin. But right now that hurt has occurred. Now I want to find out why do I feel this way? How did I get here? I want to track my thoughts by asking questions. I want to ask what steps can I take to bring about healing? And I may not even know the answers yet, but I want to ask the questions. So ask some real questions. Number four, this is absolutely critical. Number four, find and believe the facts about the hurt. Here's what I'm saying another way. Believe the truth about the hurt. So first of all, and it begins in my own heart again, on display for you this morning, the first thing that I normally do wrong is I say, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. I've just lied to myself in my own I'm not hurt. I'm bigger than this. I'm not going to let this get me. I've already messed up because I'm not prepared to acknowledge, you know what? I'm hurt. I've got to believe the truth about the hurt. But I have to believe the facts because here's what happens is we go on all kinds of tangents when we start thinking about just the matter of hurt and and how could that person do this to me or or or, or this this is not fair and we immediately come to the emotional responses as opposed to what is the truth here and the truth is i am hurt something has occurred what has occurred i want to believe the truth and you say well what verses would i think about well philippians 4 8 is absolutely critical Philippians 4.8, another verse that I cling to. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It begins with truth, that verse. Think about truth. That's why we prayed for discernment at the start. That's why we prayed for wisdom at the start. Because when I'm in the midst of this situation, I'm not going to discern properly. I'm not going to have wisdom unless I have come before the Lord first of all and said, Lord, I depend on you for this because I'm not going to see my way through unless you show me. You say, well, how do I think on truth? How do I get my mind to the place where it ought to be? Well, that's where number five comes in. And number five is this, renew your mind in the pages of Scripture. Renew your mind in the pages of Scripture. Now, if you are anything like me again, heart on display here for us this morning, my heart is this. When I am hurting, I normally don't want to read. I normally want to wallow. See, one of two things happens in my own heart, and that is this. Either I say, I'm not hurt, I'm fine, I can handle it, look at me, I can do this. Or, I just want to wallow in I don't really want help. I want to be sad. I want to be down. I want the world to be a miserable place for a little while here, because that's what I want, because I feel horrible. That's where I'm at. That's what happens in my own heart. So it may be forced To pull out the scripture to begin with. But you know what I have found in the few times where I've got it right? When I open the pages of scripture, suddenly there is a truth and a light that I did not see a few moments before because I hadn't renewed my mind. Because I know all of this. You probably know all this. I know these truths. I know I need to think what's true. I know I need to think what's right. I know that these things are there and I can tell you all about them. But when the hurt's there, I have to force myself to say I must get into the word because that is the renewal of my mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We know verse 1. Verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. We began by praying for discernment. We can't have discernment unless we have the word of God. This is what renews our mind. I'm in the midst of this situation. I feel like I'm sinking beneath it. It's like sinking sand and I'm, and I'm hurting and there's pain in my heart. And if I'm not careful, it's going to quickly turn into some form of sin. And I don't want that to happen. But yet I know I have to work through this hurt. I must renew my mind. I must think on what is right, true, profitable, etc. Renew your mind in the pages of Scripture. Number six. We may still be hurting. We probably will still be hurting. What do we do? We confide in a faithful, wise believer who will bring light and truth to help us think biblically. Because you know what? In the midst of my hurt, I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want to share it. Unless, unless of course, I get to complain about it. If I get to complain about it, I'm happy to share it. But if I have to actually put my heart on display and be transparent and say to someone else who, you know, has a certain uh, esteem for me that, you know what, I'm human and I'm hurting and I need your prayers and your help and your support and I need you to point me in the way of truth. I don't want to do that. I I don't want to do that. That's not where my heart's at at all. I either want to complain or I want to be by myself. Now, you might be different. I'm not sure. But this is me, again, on display how I'm working through this. And I find that when we understand what church really is, which is what we've been studying for months now, this is church. Now, there's a danger here, and I want to remind us of this danger. Not every Christian that you know fits this category. Okay, because we are talking about confiding in a faithful and wise believer. See, Job had a few problems going on in his life, didn't he? But he had some greater problems with a few friends. They were not good friends. Those friends were not helpful. Those friends actually, if were not for Job's resolve in the knowledge of God, he could well have done what they said, curse God and die. That's not very helpful advice. So we need to remember in this realm of confiding, we're looking for faithful, spirit-filled, biblically focused Christians who are going to say, hey, listen, I know this is hard and I'm here for you. They're going to correct us when we get a little bit too emotional about the whole thing they're going to point us in the truth and that might hurt us a little bit more but it's going to help us they're the people we want because they're going to give us real answers they're going to give us biblical answers if someone is pointing you away from the scriptures they are not the people you want to talk to and let me just add on this when we talk about church we talk a lot about church not everybody is going to be this Not every person in the church is going to be this person you confide everything in. There are people within church that God has placed as your close-knit friends who walk through that like others don't. Don't go confiding in everybody necessarily. But we want to confide in a faithful, wise believer who will bring truth to light and help us think biblically. Proverbs 24.6 says this, A wise man is full of strength. And a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war. And in abundance of counsellors there is victory. Good counsel will be a great healing balm. Number seven. Spend some quiet time alone with God. Away from distraction and commotion. Spend some quiet time alone with God, away from distraction and commotion. Psalm 46.10, again, another verse I cling to. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Uh, Sometimes we can quickly go to the quiet place by ourselves. And that's not necessarily helpful because we haven't had the the necessary renewing of the mind or the confiding in someone. But at, at the right time, we go from the situation, from the commotion of life in order to spend some quiet time with God alone. And in the quietness of that moment, we hear the still small voice of his word in our heart, the spirit of God who brings to light truth. Spend some quiet time alone with God. Number eight. Test. And try your own heart 
and ensure that it is free from pollution. Test and try your own heart and ensure that it is free from pollution. Solomon writes in Proverbs 4.23, Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance because out of it flow the springs of life. The heart of the individual, the inner heart, the inner person. David says of the Lord in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. When I'm working through my hurt, I want to test and try my own heart to be sure that in my own heart there is not at that moment pollution and sin that needs to be dealt with. Because that will only cause compounding problems. And then lastly, in this third point, critical, critical point, meditate on the gospel and the character of God. Our tendency in hurt is to stay in it as opposed to think outside of it. God has designed it that if we are going to work through our hurt, we need to not just spend time focused on it fully. We do some of that, but we need to ascend above that to the character of our God. Because you know what? Hurts come and go. Difficulties come and go. But one thing is immutable. One thing is unchanging. The character of our God. That's the only thing that I have that I can hold on to that's not going to change. My life is shifting around me. This person's going that way. This person's going that way. Problems are everywhere around at times. I feel like I'm surrounded. And so everywhere I look, I'm in trouble unless I pause and look up at something that will not change. That's my only firm foundation. Around me, everything is a problem. My verses for meditating on the gospel and the character of God, there are many, but there's just this one passage that I come to every time. Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, at this point, I read that verse normally and I think, you don't understand, I'm actually burdened in the sin here. I can't run with endurance anymore. I'm hurting. It's, 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 this verse is not helpful. But I remind myself, I cannot stop there. Because here's what it says next. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of my faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I say, well, hang on. He's, he's experienced hurt like I have never really understood fully. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then I come to verse 3. And this is, this is the one for me where it says, consider him. Consider him. Pause. Stop. You're looking to him. Now consider him and all that he went through who endured such contradiction of sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. You say, how can I get through this? How can I see life a different way? How can I possibly ascend this situation? Look to Jesus. Consider all that occurred to him, lest you grow faint and weary in your mind and say, it's all too hard. I'm done with this. I have to meditate on the gospel and the character of God. Those are nine practical things. I hope helpful thoughts for hurting hearts. The final point that I want us to look at this morning is just simply called hope for the hurting. In this, our final point, I want to give you some specific truths about God to cling to in the times of hurt and pain. And again, these are personal that I go to. And let me say, I fail at this every day of my life. This is a reality. I fail at doing what I'm telling you to do and hoping to help you with today. But I'm trying and I'm working through it. Hope for the hurting. Here are some truths about God that I would like us to cling to. There's six of them. And it's easy because they all start with P. And I, they help me remember it. Six P's to think about. First of all, 
in the midst of hurt, here is a hopeful truth. God's providence. God's providence. I'm going to very quickly turn to some verses here to read them out to us, but we may not have time to all turn there. Psalm 103 and verse 19 says this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You know what truth I glean? God is in control. I'm hurt. I'm deeply hurt. It's it's, it's hard. I'm weeping. I'm mourning with Nehemiah. My expectations may not have been fulfilled. I've had some sort of personal loss. But God is in control. Job 42 and verse 2, no purpose of God can be thwarted. None. That is something I cling to with all my might. God's providence. And we could preach a whole message on that. Secondly, I'm hurting. What do I need? I need strength. I need to know some things. And then I come to the reminder that it is God's power. God's providence and then God's power. And usually at this point, if I'm thinking as I ought to, I turn in my Bible to Isaiah chapter 40, my favorite chapter in the whole of the scripture, and I go to verse 28 and I read this. And I ask my own heart and soul this. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. And to those without strength, he increases might. Even the youth shall faint. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait, they that hope, they that trust in the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I find myself turning there and asking my own heart, Have you forgotten who God is? Have you forgotten the power that is available to me in the person of God? He is all powerful. God and his power. That is hope for the hurting. Thirdly. After I remind myself of God's providence and God's power. And sometimes, if I may just quickly insert this, sometimes knowing God's providence and God's power seems a bit out there. I don't know if you know what I mean. He, he's all powerful. And he's sort of he's, he's out there like, you know, and at that point, I think, well, yes, I know he's all powerful. I know that truth. But how's that going to help me right now? And that's why the third P is God's presence. God's presence. Because in Isaiah 43. We read this. In verse 1 and 2. But now thus says the Lord. He who created you. Who formed you. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters. I will be with you. And through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fires. You shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God. And then I turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And in Hebrews chapter 13, I am reminded in verse 5 and 6, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now that doesn't always encourage me that particular part of the verse at this point. But the second part does. For he has said, I will never leave you And I will never forsake you so that we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. His presence, not out there like the strength. We know it's here. Internal, I am with you. God's presence. God's providence, God's power, God's presence. And then in my time of need and hurt, I turn to Matthew chapter 6. And in there I find God's provision Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 says therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body what you will put on 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God will provide my needs. I trust in that wonderful truth. Number five, and we're almost there. God's providence, God's power, God's presence, God's provision. And this one is just critical out of all of them, I think. God's plan. God's plan. Unfortunately, this verse has become such a cliche that we lose sight of the truth of it. Romans 8 and verse 28. Right? We know it, don't we? We know the verse. We know what it says. But we somehow lose sight of it sometimes because we know it off by heart. Romans 8, 28. And we know. And I usually pause here and think, do I? I know it's there. But do I really know this, actually? And we know that for those who love God, conditional, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes we stop there. We ought not. Verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Say to my heart, if God be for you, who can be against you? Yes, the enemy may be attacking. Yes, there may be loss. But he is doing what he called you. He predestined you. He's conforming you. You will be glorified. Plus, it's in the past tense. So much so is this text a reality that God put it in the past tense. He says you are glorified, even though we're not yet. You can rely on this truth, God's plan. I have a couple other passages quickly to turn to. 1 Peter chapter 1, again under this matter of God's plan. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 to 5. Again, if you don't have time to turn there, that's fine. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Don't miss the word living hope. Living hope. That wasn't the part I was going to tell you about, though. The next part, verse 4. To an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God's plan is that you have an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, there in that heavenly place that's reserved for you. The plan of God encourages me. So many things to say, so little time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul says this. And this is a real go-to passage for me. So, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're moving, they're changing, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I say to my soul, do not lose heart. Things are wasting away your body or the pain or the hurt or people, but they're transient. 
The things that I see are changing, but this light momentary affliction is providing for me a greater weight of glory. This is doing an incredible work in my heart. And so we see God's providence, God's power, God's presence, God's provision and God's plan. And then lastly, before we close, God's promises. 2 Corinthians 5, which is literally after what I just read about that light momentary affliction. Paul says this, for we know, again, Paul always says no. I wish I had that same confidence Paul has. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this body, this person, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Here's some promises that I can claim. There's a new body coming. There's a new life to be lived. There is the spirit of God living within me. Who is the guarantee of the future promises that God has made to me. And then lastly, if you would, and I'd have you turn here. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. The thousand years have finished, the judgment of the great white throne, the defeat of Satan has been completed, the end of the age in Revelation 21, verse 1. John, by way of a vision, writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, etc., etc., the second death. The joy and the promise that is found in this text is that one day soon, one day soon, every tear will be wiped from our eye. There will be no more pain. That which you experience here in this earth is only temporary. God's providence, God's power, God's presence, God's provision, God's plan, God's promises. Church, these truths are not idle or inactive. They are our present hope and our strength. As believers, we experience hurt and we must cling to these truths for dear life. The path to heaven is by way of the valley of the shadow of death. Only through the fires of hurt, pain and suffering will we be refined as gold. See, here's what I am trying to learn. A spiritual person is not inoculated against hurt. They allow hurt to run its course so that they can learn greater dependence upon God. We are not looking to hurt less. We're looking to hurt in a manner that produces holiness and not spiritual harm. Did you get that? We're not saying, Lord, let me hurt less. We're saying, let me hurt better. 
Let me hurt in a sanctifying way that my dependence would be greater upon you, that my faith and my ability to trust you would just develop more and more so that I would be a spiritual person. My my prayer is that these truths would be a balm to the broken or hurting heart in our midst. And I close with this text. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. I hope that's hope for the hurting heart. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I I don't really fully know Uh, how and what you seek to accomplish through it but i pray that it would be a help and a blessing an encouragement a challenge all of those things for us this morning Uh, lord if there are opportunities to confide in one another today to share our burdens to seek prayer to seek counsel to seek spiritual help and advice lord may we be willing to do that help us to be honest about uh, our struggles and our hurt and to to realize that hurting is in itself not a problem but how we manage and work through and be developed in that is critical help us as we go through this week and normally it would seem that a message such as this is a preface to perhaps what might be hurt Uh, we may find this week opportunities to hurt well or to hurt in a way that's harmful Lord, I pray that you would prepare us accordingly because of this time in your word and our own personal studies throughout the week. Uh, Lord, to be sanctified in that which comes along our way this week, in the week and months and years to come. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your providence and your presence and your power and your promises and all those other things we've looked at. We praise you and bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.